0: Spotlight Connecticut with Morgan Cunningham, embracing what's fun with Connecticut on WTIC News Talk 1080. This has been a first for me in just the last hour before we went live today on WTIC News Talk 1080. And uh, this might be a first for radio, as you probably saw in my social media video that I posted a few hours ago at MC News Talk on Facebook X and Instagram You can go watch the video. I said, I'm tired of hearing about politicians telling me one way or another what to think about EVs, okay? I need to experience it for myself, but I wanted to talk to somebody who worked in EVs. And when I listen to talk radio from coast to coast, everybody's talking about the political aspect, but I've never heard anybody actually explore what an EV is all about. So I said, well, I need to find a way to get this on my talk show. And I had been thinking about this actually for a few months and it was at a Christmas party early last December, uh, Christmas party 2.0 at our friend Aaron's. I met um, Marty Thomas, and I had met him before, but we got talking some more, and he came up to me. This was his idea, by the way. He came up to me and said, well, what if we did a show about EVs? You're on the radio, right? And I said, well, yeah, but you know, what? what how are you qualified to talk about EVs? And he says, well, I work for Rivian. I said, okay, so now the light bulb's going off in my head, and Two months and a day later, Marty Thomas, we are in the studio together. Hi, Marty. Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me, Morgan. Can you believe that we're doing this? I'm um, shocked. This is your idea. <laughs> and you drove all the way from Stanford to do this.
1: Yep. Well, in order to give you the full experience, um, you know, you you have to drive an EV first, right? So yes. So I said to myself, if I'm going to do this, I want to do it in person. I'm going to bring a vehicle for Morgan to drive, and here I am. Because I originally
0: said, oh, you know, we could do it over the phone. And you said, well, have you driven one? And I said, no. So the idea developed. And about an hour and 10 minutes ago, you pulled up in my driveway. And you gave me the tour of the Rivian. And we went on a little test drive. I got a video of that as well posted online. It doesn't handle much differently than a gas vehicle, although there are some changes. Um, The biggest transition in learning how to drive your Rivian was regenerative
1: braking. Yep. And could you explain what that is? Yeah, so just in a nutshell, uh we have electric motors that are driving the vehicle and it's getting fed from uh, energy from our battery. And when you let off the accelerator pedal, basically the energy reverses flow. And so now the the motors turn into gigantic electric brakes and so that energy is being reharvested back into the battery and allows you to maximize extend your range and how far you can go now what's interesting as i as i told you in the vehicle you can control how much that is and sometimes it's quite intense for most people so you were just driving it on the standard setting there is an aggressive setting as
0: well you turned that off for me thank you yeah, yes because there's a little hill down the road from where my house is and we experienced this because normally when i'm driving my gas powered vehicle i will let off the pedal because it coasts. I don't need to be pushing on the pedal. And as soon as I let go of the pedal in the Rivian, even though you had explained to me what this all was about, just reflex, I took my foot off the gas and this thing came to a pretty quick stop.
1: It really did. So that was an adjustment and that happened a number of times on our drive. I'd say by the end of the drive though, Morgan, you really got a good... Good handle of it. You're kind of talking to me and driving like it was was nothing. So well, it doesn't you. doesn't take much to kind of adapt to the to the ways of driving EV. And of course, every electric vehicle does drive differently. Now, could you tell me what you do at
0: Rivian because you're very involved in how these vehicles are actually um, repaired? From what I understand,
1: correct. So I work in the learning and development. Uh, my team is in charge of training staff, uh, basically from the moment the vehicle is delivered any employee, whether Rivian or a third-party body shop or third-party repair center that needs training, my team's responsible for that. Uh, and so part of the way of the course is I, I'm obviously not teaching as much these days in my current role, but you know I'm very well in tuned when we have issues with knowledge and people having struggles repairing vehicles, my team's responsible for that. And we try to come up with creative learning and development solutions to to best help folks become more prepared to work on our vehicle.
0: Other than regenerative braking, going back to our tour and how you walked me around the vehicle, could you tell me some of the features of maybe Rivian specifically, but also just EVs in general for somebody who's never driven one. And for somebody who is new to the world of EVs, maybe they're considering buying an EV. Um, There are a lot of things that we need to talk about, but in general, what, is different on an EV from a gas powered vehicle like what you showed me on our little tour
1: Yeah so basically you're you're consisting of three large components you have a high voltage battery, you have a drive unit or motor unit uh, and then of course um, you have all the the components that go uh, with that to make it run. Uh, and so what a lot of people get you know kind of confused about, is you know, the HV battery is underneath a structural component and then you have these drive units that help propel the vehicle. Uh, they're very heavy. And so they're underneath the, the body of the vehicle. And the, the benefit of that is it actually makes the vehicle safer, especially from a crash uh, rating standpoint. I know we'll, we'll talk about this in a little bit uh, when it comes to some of the you know, vehicle fires, but from a, a vehicle structural rigidity standpoint, they're very uh, heavy and very safe because of that. Uh, now, every... Electric vehicle manufacturer will do it a little bit differently. Um, you know, for, for Rivian, we have one central battery that's underneath in the center of the vehicle. And then uh, we actually have four motors on the vehicle you drove today. However, you can have one motor, two motors, three motors, I believe is what the Cybertruck uh, Tesla just put out, is their tri-motor. So really, at the end of the day, it's up to the vehicle. So it can vary. It can vary, yep. So we have four uh, on the on the R1T and R1S for Rivian. There's, uh, there's a quad motor variant right now, uh, but we are uh, looking to, to come out with different motor options in the future.
0: And once you drive one EV, like, you know, I just drove
1: the Rivian, could I hop in another and will it be rather similar? It depends. I, I do compare a little bit of our one pedal driving, as I call it, to Tesla. Uh, but if you were to get into the more conventional vehicles like a Mach-E for Ford or a VW Mercedes, those will more likely drive a little bit differently. I believe the Germans do like brake pedal application to to engage regenerative braking, whereas we do the one pedal. Um, so it it just would. But to be honest, <clears throat> yes, it would be a pretty similar transition for you with that with with going between them, in my opinion.
0: Now, the prices can really range on EVs. From, I don't know, I've seen them in the thirty to forty thousand dollar range. I've seen them well north of a hundred thousand and above. And so does that mean that you're getting a very different vehicle? I mean, I would imagine so, or does that have to do with um the batteries? You know, are they bigger batteries and therefore it costs more? So what goes into the really major price changes that I have seen and different ranges for EVs?
1: Correct. So I think at the bottom end, we're looking at like the Mach E comes in at a very competitive price point, model three as well from Tesla. Uh, and yes, it's basically features and battery size. Uh, they do, the EV market does tend to enjoy marketing zero to 60 times. I believe Tesla is the sub three seconds on their plaid variants. Do you really need that type of acceleration in, a, in, a, in an everyday car? No, let's be honest. But it it is quite a quick uh, stat to have. Uh, And so they usually tie that to the more expensive end, Uh, but typically, yeah, you're you're looking at a lower range, less feature set vehicle at the thirty thousand price point, uh, but not terrible range, but functional, functional, correct, like a commuter vehicle. And then as you go up, you know, higher in range or higher in price, excuse me, you typically see better uh, range, but then you get a lot of creature comforts like air air suspension and you know maybe more motors, more drive units to be more capable, like you know for our Rivian. Are you seeing more people using EVs
0: for everyday commuting or maybe regional or further travel? I would say
1: majority of EV owners are the commuter and the, you know, sub 100-mile daily and maybe a one once-every-several-months road trip. Uh, but for the most part, you're, you're kind of just going to and from work every day. Local,
0: local. Yep. All right, I'm Morgan Cunningham at Spotlight Connecticut on WTIC News Talk 1080. I'm with Marty Thomas. He's Director of Service training for Rivian, and we'll continue to talk about EVs as we go on. This is WTIC in Hartford.
1: Recognizing the best fans on Spotlight Connecticut. Hi,
0: this is Aaron in Stamford, and you're listening to Spotlight Connecticut with Morgan Cunningham. Woo! You hear her? Aaron in Stamford, she recorded that drop for me probably over a year ago. She's with us now on Spotlight Connecticut. We got her on the phone, Marty. Oh, boy. So, hi, Aaron. How are you?
1: Hi, and huge fan of the show, Morgan and Marty.
0: Loving your expertise and experience so far. I'm so happy that you came up with the idea of calling in. And then I think you got nervous, but you're here now. I'm here now. (laughs) And you have a question for Marty, from what I understand. I do. So, Marty, big traveler like myself, love my road trips. From what I've read, EVs don't seem to be as efficient for traveling, since battery charging can take you up to approximately an hour, from what I know. So my question is, what's being done to speed up that process to make the charging stops quicker? And Aaron, thank you for calling in, and thanks for introducing me to Marty at your famous Christmas parties.
1: Oh, of course. We'll Go do
0: it, it again this year. Again. <laughs> yes. All right. Definitely. We'll uh, have Marty answer the question. Thanks for listening.
1: All right, Aaron is off, and so could you take that
0: question, Marty?
1: Yeah, so this this is probably one of the most frequent ones that I get when folks find out of my you know past experience uh, working uh, with Rivian now and Tesla uh, prior, uh, and and that <clears throat> it boils down to a simple response, which is does long you know long road trips take longer? Yes, they will take longer. Anyone that says otherwise is is kind of you know powdering your nose, so to speak. But the reality is uh, what the key to road trips now is what's called DC fast charging. And and basically what's happening is, is all the energy is being kind of crammed in uh, relatively quickly at some of these rated stops. And the best way to get the most efficiency of that is you need to come in at a fairly low level of charge to really maximize how much energy you can get. And I- so...
0: I've heard that the state of Connecticut is working to install fast charging stations at strategic locations on all major highways or most major highways in Connecticut that can get, I think, 80% of a
1: charge, if I remember correctly, in 15 to 20 minutes. More like 20 to 30 to be be conservative. Yes, and that's what I was going to just say to Aaron's question, which is, you know, does it take an hour? Well, if you're going to try to go from zero to 100%, which is not ever what any EV owner typically does when they drive, um, that could take a long time because as you try to top off the battery of your, your car, it's going to ramp down how much energy we can put in it. And that's when it takes the longest. But if you can get from whatever charge you're coming in at to 80%, that's typically about 20 to 30 minutes. And what I've found, me personally, when I go on road trips with, you know, when I was with Tesla and now with Rivian, Um, that's actually a a typical stop for a meal, stretching legs, hitting the restroom. Um, you know, is it, is it taking longer than filling up a tank of gas? Of course. But when you get a tank of gas on a road trip, you're not just, unless you're crazy getting back in the car and heading for hours at a time, you're going to go in, get something to eat, go to the restroom. So that I'm one of the crazies to
0: be honest. I mean, you know, some people (laughs) like
1: to beat the clock. I get it, but if you're that type of individual then yes it's going to take a little bit more time but the reality is the technology and more of these fast chargers are becoming more and more prevalent uh to basically speed up the stops and to be honest we're at about typical EV uh, batteries about 400 volts we are actually looking at the next generation in the industry around 800 volts which would then allow even faster charging uh, in the future to bring that time even down more than that so i would say right now we're kind of at the back end in terms of speed, but I do see in the future with battery technology getting better, vehicles getting better, that time coming down. Yeah, this is what
0: we call range anxiety, correct?
1: Yes, yes, you would typically see people not wanting to get an EV because they're worried about running out of juice, which, you know, I would then challenge them and say, you know, Have you ever run out of gas before? Um, you know, and actually I came I've, close <laughs> once. I actually mm-hmm. in my living in California I actually had someone run out of gas outside my window. Oh, really? We literally were a block away station so that was pretty embarrassing wow that
0: is pretty bad for them (laughs) now marty uh as we talk about range anxiety you drove up from stamford that's like what 90 miles roughly 95 95 miles
1: and at any point were you nervous nope not at all so the as i was kind of giving you the overview in the rivian we have different drive modes which we configure the drive units the battery and in in for the long road trips you put it in conservative mode and that basically only uses the two front drive units versus all four and so you effectively can extend your range the car will then do a calculation and i believe when i was at 100 it's about 320 miles on the conservative mode so you can get a pretty good chunk of trip out um you know uh, in that fashion and so coming up here I then switched over, as I showed you, to the more traditional all-purpose mode, and then, of course, that and that's
0: where I from. was driving with you. All-purpose, correct?
1: Correct. Yep. Now,
0: I had heard this question a number of times today, leading up to the show, and in the last few weeks, as I've told people that we were planning the show, people were concerned about cold weather and what that actually means for an EV and a battery and charging. So, could you take that away?
1: Yeah. So uh, this probably came up with that. Tesla story in Chicago, when we had that plummeting cold, we had a lot of, or they had a lot of vehicles that were kind of stuck at their supercharger. And the reality is, yes, batteries do require a little bit of some TLC when it comes to temperature. Uh, it's around 60 degrees. It, it varies by manufacturer, but you want that battery to be you know, kind of at a comfortable temperature. So the vehicles will do the best that they can to maintain that, whether you're plugged in at night or if you're at a supercharger, uh, and so, when it is supremely cold, uh, you will have a, a decrease in range. But the vehicle will calculate that, and you'll you'll see that before you even get up. So there's an intelligence there. There is, yes. At the I would say I've never seen such like computer driven vehicles, you know, on an on an ice vehicle than an EV. Uh, they're very smart.
0: I have another question from a listener. And it reads, if we stop burning fossil fuels in a vehicle, they sent this in to me on social media at MC News Talk, my handle. "Uh, Would we continue to burn fossil fuels elsewhere in order to generate the electricity to charge EVs? And would that mean maybe even more fossil fuels would be burned?
1: Yeah, I think it's definitely a good question. And I think there's just a lot of variables out there to dictate that. I think we have a lot of contractual bids for green energy like wind solar and hydro the reality is if we don't get those stood up then yes that would sway the other way where we need more energy to charge the, the additional vehicles on the road however uh, a lot of electric vehicle manufacturers at least um, you know tesla and even rivian they want to push to a more sustainable planet and so that's you know either folks investing in solar if we get more wind farms offshore uh, other ways to kind of generate that energy is kind of the ideal state for most EV manufacturers. But it's hard to really kind of predict because you could swing the pendulum either direction. You could need to charge more vehicles. Well, then, yes, we're going to need more energy. Where's that energy going to come from? And, and so,
0: while we're talking about yeah. batteries, before we get to the break here, I also wanted to ask about EV battery recycling.
1: Yeah, uh, there's there's a few companies now uh, starting to pop up because this will be a, – a, Pretty big market, especially with hybrids. Uh, They also have, um, you know, batteries Priuses as well. They need their batteries taken care of, and there's more and more companies now that will actually help, uh, you know, bring batteries back to life uh, and and kind of recycle them. What Rivian intends to do, and, and I know what Tesla has looked at doing, is you know sometimes a battery reaches its life end for a vehicle, but it still has a lot of capability in this in another market say for like energy storage uh or like batteries for your home and that's typically the the life cycle batteries will start for electric vehicles because they need a lot of amperage and current um to to drive the vehicle but then when you're doing home charging or you know backup generation you don't you just need steady supply you don't need a lot of that current flow and so there's a lot of opportunity out there to repurpose batteries they're not going to the landfill Um, because that's just a a waste of of great tech. A lot of these batteries are either being remanufactured, putting back in vehicles, or they're being used in a secondary market. Spotlight Connecticut with Morgan Cunningham.
0: Well, you see, Bob Steele used to use this all the time on our station as one of his morning show themes, Java by Al Hurt, recorded, I believe, 1964. And you see, Bob Steele was on our station, get ready for this, from 1936 until He died in 2002, and he worked for us full-time from 1936 to 1991, and he hosted Saturday morning shows from 1991 until literally a month before he died in 2002 at the age of 91. Now, that's impressive. He was hired with our station at 25. I was hired at 21, so it's possible I could beat him. Maybe. We'll see. But I'm bringing this up, and I'm playing that song because today WTIC turns 99 years old. We started to broadcast in Hartford uh, in 19, get this, 25. That's amazing. And ever since we went on the air, February 10th, 1925, we have been focused on topics of interest to Connecticut. We are truly a heritage station. A number of stations changed format over the years. They changed staff, and obviously the staff turnover is inevitable because after 100 years or just about, People start to die off and so on. You've got Bob Steele for 66 years, but uh, that is an anomaly for sure in broadcasting. But it really speaks to what we do at WTIC and all of our amazing listeners that have kept this going over the course of several generations. And as we get ready to march toward our 100th birthday next year, February 10th, 2025, all throughout the year, we have a number of anniversary celebrations prepared and most of them are going to take place on my show. So the last Saturday of every single month I am going to pick a topic from WTIC history or personality maybe and we are going to dig into that with guests. So I mentioned Bob Steele. His two sons are coming on with me um, in the next year. I have Stuff about our years with UConn um, and our sports partnership that lasted many years with them. I mean, it is going to be an all-encompassing and I hope not a boring history lesson. I want everything to tie into what we do today. And so it's going to be a retrospective and a reflection for sure, but it's also going to be a look toward our future as a broadcast institution in Hartford. And the very first show that we're going to do is coming up in two weeks on Saturday, February 24th, and I hope that you'll join us. That will be about our founding as a radio station in Connecticut as one of the first, and from that era, not many stations have survived, just a handful, and we are one of them and proud to be. So I wanted to acknowledge WTIC on its 99th birthday, and I also want to mention that next Saturday, you might be wondering, okay, well, if you've got that planned for the 24th, what's coming up on the 17th? Well, drumroll... Drum roll! next Saturday, Tony Orlando, the singer, is going to be joining us on Spotlight Connecticut. You know, tie a yellow ribbon around the old oak tree and all of his songs, Candida. um, So many, so many great songs that he sang and recorded. He has chosen Mohegan Sun here in Connecticut to be his final performance venue of his career. So he's entering retirement from performing across the world. And he's going to be doing it here in Connecticut. And so I'm so excited that I was able to land an interview with Tony. And I'm 99.98% confident that that's happening next Saturday at 2 on WTIC News Talk 1080. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. I want to welcome back Marty Thomas on WTIC. We're talking about EVs. He works for Rivian, an EV manufacturer. He took me on my very first EV ride, and it was more than a ride. He let me take the wheel. And uh, it was a very different experience. It's quiet. They are quiet. They really are, Marty. Very quiet. Yep. Does that ever. Am I the only person, I guess is what I'm trying to ask, that's really stunned by that?
1: No. Yeah, it's actually very common. That's actually uh, quite the the, one of maybe the challenges that the service uh, industry has with EVs is people are so used to combustion engines and driving. That when you get into a silent car, all you hear are like the traditional sounds that a car makes, which are squeaks and rattles yes. and, and noises because it's a bunch of components put together. I didn't and, hear that. Well, you know, really our our car is top-notch, Morgan. You yes, know. it is. Yeah.
0: I really do believe that. That was a very sweet ride that you've got. You're very lucky to be in a Rivian, I think. And I have a question here from Ollie, who writes in on my Instagram. You can find me there and follow me at MC News Talk. He wants to know how far behind. Or ahead, maybe, are other major car manufacturers in the development of EVs? So, I guess he's talking about Ford and Honda, Toyota, all of them, compared to Rivian or Tesla?
1: Ah, oh, great question, Ollie. Um, and I would say it's picking up pace quite quickly. Uh, when I joined uh, and worked for my stint with Tesla in 14, uh, it was really like a gamble at that time. Tesla was really on the forefront really trying to break down the you know the, the issues with EVs and having far range. Uh, but now fast forward to, to pretty much every man, major manufacturer has a commitment to have an electric vehicle, uh, I believe by 2030, 2035. So they, they are definitely picking up speed. Uh, in the industry, which is great. I, I think all companies in the end kind of do strive for that friendly competition because it's only helping, you know, the, the industry get more EVs out there.
0: I have another question here sent in recently by a listener, Ron in East Hartford. Hi, Ron. He's fascinated by EV fires. OK, now this is somebody I know, Ron. Um, he works, or used to work. He's retired now, but he used to work in transportation, and so he's really paying attention to a lot of issues surrounding EVs and so on. And so he writes on gasoline-powered vehicles. A firewall exists between the engine and passenger compartments, giving occupants plenty of time to escape, hopefully without injury. In a vast majority of gasoline vehicle engine fires, the fires contained to the engine compartment only. It can spread, but the majority is often contained. EV fires seem to result in total destruction of the vehicle in a short period of time. And also you have the battery bay below the passenger compartment and between the road that uh, we drive on. So he wants to know, first, what kind of protection surrounds the battery bay to help protect passengers from a fire?
1: Yeah, uh, great, great. Thanks for that question, Ron. Um, this one is, is definitely one that, that comes up quite a bit when, when folks uh, learn of, of my you know, current experience with EVs. And, and the reality is, first and foremost, every wreck is different. So I just want to put that out there that this is a, a strict generalization. Um, and you can't predict the laws of physics on how any vehicle, especially if you're traveling at highway speeds, how you know, the crash is going to work. But what I can tell you is a lot of automotive manufacturers, and to be honest, every automotive manufacturer, puts a lot of time in R&D, testing and testing their vehicles, physically crashing their vehicles, rolling them over, uh, especially in the early development process, to make sure the vehicle is structurally safe and sound. Uh, That being said, um, there are design principles that are used with EVs. Most notably is the battery compartment itself is usually made out of a very tough structural steel, some sort of metallurgy that's designed to prevent any sort of puncture or piercing. Usually when you get into a wreck, that can, tend, that can potentially compromise. And then that's when the batteries tend to have some sort of, yeah, in this case, a thermal event uh, is, is normally what happens. When the batteries start losing their cool, so to speak, is when they start slowly elevating in temperature. And when they elevate in temperature, that's when the fires begin Uh, What I would say, and again, just my experience, I'm not speaking to any particular manufacturer on this one, is that majority of lithium-ion fires that I have seen usually begin as a smolder, uh, and then eventually the vehicle catches fire well after occupants have been extracted from first responders.
0: He also wants to know what might cause a spontaneous fire in an EV. We've heard about these in the news. They are rare, but they can happen. Is there any word on what might
1: cause those? I honestly, in my years in the industry, have not come across a case of a vehicle where it just combusted. Usually it's either impact related or there might be a thermal condition where the battery is not being kept at the that happy temperature that I mentioned earlier. And then that's when the cells get unhappy and they get unstable.
0: There are fire departments that are retraining on how to deal with EV fires because they can take more water or more effort to put out once they have started. And you know, it just brings a question into my mind. Why, why are they harder to extinguish and why are fire departments rethinking how they're going about putting out an EV fire?
1: Yeah. And that's, that that's a great, uh, that's actually one of the drives in in my uh, focus right now is we are trying to partner with fire departments, uh, as Rivian to get the training and the knowledge to these individuals. So they know how to handle uh, an incident when they roll up. And
0: that's great. What we've
1: learned is, uh, Every state is a little different. Um, and so the reason that vehicle, the electric vehicle fires um, you know, tend to burn for longer is you just have a heavy saturation of energy. So you have about 9,000, 10,000 battery cells, uh, and each one of those you know, burns for a significant period of time just out of the chemistry of that battery. Uh, and so because of that, when these first responders roll up, they're, they're pressed with a very interesting scenario. One, is everyone safe? two can we extinguish this fire or let it burn out uh, or three we have to extinguish it because they need to reopen the road if it's on a freeway and usually that's by other ordinance kind of pushing on the first responders in this case the fire department to figure out what they're going to do I would say from what I've learned from you know kind of collaborating with our first responders is that you know majority of the time they let it burn because it's just the safest thing to do they don't waste resource like water um, everyone's out of the way. If the road's not obstructed, it burns. And then then they extinguish the the vehicle when there's no more um, accelerants or anything that can catch fire. And for the record, uh, most of the components on these YouTube things that you're seeing on fire is like the seats, the leather, the headliner, those uh-huh. components in the vehicle. It's not like a physical flame so much coming from the battery unit as it is all the other stuff that's attached to the vehicle.
0: I'm Morgan Cunningham at Spotlight Connecticut. Marty, hang on. We've got to take a break. He works in the EV industry, and we're going to talk about politics next.
1: This is WTIC in Hartford. Spotlight Connecticut is where
0: you heard this. People have said to me, oh, Morgan, is this one of those groups that's going to the barber shops and they're in striped shirts and this, that, and the other? Could you set that straight for everyone?
1: We still definitely use the little, you know, shiny disc, uh, the pitch pipe, But I think people associate that, like, striped uh, vest and everything. I think the Music Man did a lot of great things for Barbershop. It put Barbershop on the scene um, in a big way, but I think it also carried some stereotypes with it. Find the Spotlight Connecticut podcast on (laughs) Odyssey. That's A-U-D-A-C-Y, or wherever you get your podcasts. And this
0: will be available on that podcast, too. Just download the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts, and you'll be able to listen in at your heart's desire. I'm back on Spotlight Connecticut in the remaining minutes here with Marty Thomas. We really only have like five minutes. And so, you know, we are hearing about the political move to get EVs mandated in Connecticut. If you're going to buy a new vehicle in the year 2035 or thereafter, it has to be an EV. That's the proposal that's been getting a significant amount of debate at the state capital here in the nutmeg state. And we're hearing a lot of people that say we're simply not ready for this. And my question to you, Marty, is if we aren't ready or maybe you feel that we are ready. How can we get there sensibly to maybe an EV mandate in 2035 or later? How do we get to that point?
1: Yeah, I think the best way to get there is just better knowledge, like podcasts and radio shows like this to kind of, you know, let people experience the product, hear from experts in the industry that aren't quote unquote political. Like I'm not here for any sort of political agenda. Like I'm here because I love the industry. I love the technology Yes, you can get into you know splitting hairs about fossil fuels and how the charge is you know being produced for the vehicle. But in the end of the day, it's a form of transportation that when you're driving on the road, it is not emitting any emissions and hurting our environment. And so for that reason alone, I really do love showing people electric vehicles, talking about them, getting them involved and aware of it so that when mandates come around, people don't just flip the other way and say, hey you know, I don't want this because they just don't, they're not aware. Hence why I brought the vehicle for you, Morgan, to drive.
0: Yes. And it was a great experience. And we're hearing a lot of people say that our power grid is not ready to handle all electric vehicles or more electric vehicles on the road. And uh, there are studies being done as we speak to figure out whether or not that's feasible or sensible in mass. And so my question to you about the power grid is how do we shore it up and make sure that it is ready?
1: Yeah, and that's again that's back to that earlier conversation we had, which is obviously Connecticut's not a a great you know solar state from this you know stance of cloudy weather and and the seasons, but you know kind of investing in other avenues for home uh, energy is kind of going to be key for this electrification to take place. Um, Yes, the electric grid needs to be more robust, but to be honest, the electric companies make a ton of money off of us all the time, and so they definitely have. I'm sure the manpower to kind of research and beef up the network to better support these vehicles. They
0: just have to do it first. Exactly. Right. And I think that that's where all of these studies are going. And, you know, when I think about Stamford, which is very close to Manhattan and that's where you came up from. Okay. You know, there's a lot of infrastructure there in yep. that whole part of Connecticut, Fairfield County. I mean, really Western Connecticut is more developed generally speaking than Eastern Connecticut. And I can say that because I live in Eastern Connecticut Okay. And I know that from a fact. I mean, you see my little town here, which is an adorable town. It's a lovely town. You said it yourself. You like the lake, right? But rural America, I don't think, is ready for this. And so, in mass. And so, how do we get to, you know, Eastern Connecticut? How do we get to New Hampshire? God forbid, Northern Vermont or Northern Vermont or Maine or Kansas or Nebraska. I mean, these are places that are historically usually behind technologically. And so how do we reach these areas more?
1: Yeah, and that's really where the charging network is, is kind of the, the next frontier for EV revolution. We just need more charging stations, more infrastructure to support the vehicles. Now, what I would say is kind of back to that daily driver, you know, how far are you going a day? And what I typically give the analogy to anyone is if you woke up with a full tank of gas, how would you react and drive around that day? You'd probably not be going through that full tank of gas daily. So the other flip side to this is if you're an EV owner, you really just need to be looking to set up a typical dryer outlet in your garage to support this vehicle. And then now you're getting around town without the need of that infrastructure so much. You're relying just on your home grid. And I would say the, the typical charging increase, at least with our Rivian and my wife driving it daily... Uh, That was about $150 a month on our our
0: electric bill. What about hybrids? This will be our last question in the last minute. Go, Marty. What are your thoughts on hybrids?
1: I think hybrids are a good transition for folks, especially if they need that internal combustion. But I don't think they're going to stick around long because you're basically paying for two different types of technology and and energy. I honestly, if you could do it, I would say go full electric. It's going to be the future if you need the hybrid a- aspect, I totally understand, especially for rural parts that don't have that electrification option. At least you're making that you know gas go longer.
0: Well, this has really been something a first for Spotlight Connecticut, and it was enjoyable really to try out an EV for the very first time. I feel behind because I'm 27, and I feel like by now I should have been in an EV. Never, I've never even been a passenger in one, so that was really a treat. Thanks for coming up all the way from Stamford, Marty, to do this with me.
1: Thanks, Morgan. Really appreciate it. It was great to be here.
0: I am so glad that we were able to do this. Of course, you can find me on social media. Who knows, maybe we'll get Marty back on in the future. Again, my handles on Facebook, X, formerly known as Twitter and Instagram. If you want to connect, at MC News Talk, that's at MC News Talk. Spotlight Connecticut with Morgan Cunningham. Embracing what's fun with Connecticut on WTIC News Talk 1080.